HQ. For today's episode, we've had such a brave lady in, the survivor of domestic abuse, one of the worst cases that Merseyside Police have ever, ever seen. Eve decided that she didn't want to be on camera, but she wanted to tell her story to other women to make us all know that if you're going through the same thing, that there is life afterwards and that you can't get away from abusers. I do have to give a trigger warning today. This podcast will contain contexts of sexual violence, physical violence and mental abuse. Because of the nature of it, Eve decided that she didn't want to go on camera. So today we are doing audio only. But Eve is in the studio with us. Eve, welcome to Sisterhood HQ. Thank you. You absolute warrior queen. Thank you very much. Tell me a little bit about yourself, Eve. Um, I'm 36 now. I've got a lovely little boy who's four. Ah. He's fabulous. Um, I'm doing a criminology degree, which I'm soon to finish. And with the aims now of joining the police. <gasps> I've never been a mad fan of the police, but when during the time that I was in a really abusive relationship, they saved me life. Oh. And I saw a more empathetic side of them. Um, for the CID over the domestic abuse unit that were over me. So that's that's me that's my end goal of what I want to do. And I now volunteer with a, a company called Cells, which have been amazing. They're a great group a group of people and they go around and we speak around schools and do events days and everything. Yeah. So yeah, that's where I am at the minute. So take me back to before you met this horrible person. What was your life? I was living in London, I buggered off to London on my own, I've always been really, really, really fearless and confident and I just decided one day I wanted to move to London so I had myself a little house, only rented like, I got rid of all my stuff and I moved within a month with mm. the company I was working with, I had nowhere to live up there so the company had to let me stay there in the house that I was working in and I met friends and yeah I was living in London, living my me, me high life. And, what was the um, job? Sport worker, okay. yeah, I'd worked with them for 14 years, I love helping people, mm. so I'd work children's services and adult services. What was your home life like? Great, my mum and my dad have been, they've been married God now for 54 years, I think I've got oh. that right. Uh, I've got two brothers and a sister, we're all really, really close. My sister's autistic, yeah. only Asperger's, so she's very, very mild. Uh, my two, two big, barely brothers who are protective over me, and yeah, it's great. Who's the eldest? Um, out of the siblings, yeah. oh, Warren. Yeah. Yeah, so he's an actor, my brother's an actor. He was in Shameless. Oh, go away! Yeah, he was a policeman in Shameless, funnily enough. Oh, God! And um, my other brother, he's a drummer. Wow. Yeah, he's a drummer. So very creative. Yeah, well, my dad's a musician as well. Uh, okay. He works in Germany, he's got his own band and everything. And our Siobhan, um, she's really creative. She, she does a lot of floristry and stuff. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So you're living in London, you've just got this house, what happened? I'd come home, I'd come back, I think I was just bored, I'd gone for like a year and it was the summer and I felt great, I was the thinnest I've ever been, I just felt amazing and I'd come home and I was living with my friend off Smithdown Road, and a top fag ag, yeah. so I was living with one of my gay mates and um, I'd received this Snapchat off this lad who'd added me. Yeah. Um, and he sent me a photo of himself and thought, God, he's handsome and then he added me on Facebook and we agreed to meet up a few days later in Sefton Park. So it was just a Snapchat message? Yeah, just via social media. And was it just a random ad? Yeah, just a random ad. But when, it, when he added me on Facebook, I thought, God, we know similar people. And I knew his area quite well, yeah. uh, the South End. So, yeah, we agreed to meet up in Sefton Park. 
So you go on a date? Sort of, yeah. It was that African or something, what's it called? The African Festival yeah. in Sefton Park. We met up and he said to me, do you want to come back to mine for a bevy? And I wasn't really dubious, sort of didn't think, God, he's a mass murderer because he was a young lad, like a year how younger old than me. How old was he at the time? Um, oh God, how old was I when I moved back from London? Sort of mid to late 20s. Because he was 30 when he was sent to jail. Just yeah. turned 30. So, so what was his background? Nothing. His mum and dad were together. Um, he had a sister and a brother. And they came across as quite a close family. I learned otherwise, like, whilst yeah. I was with them, he, you know. So he goes on a date with Everett and fine? Uh, yeah, I mean, he was very intense when we got back to his. We had drinks and everything. And he just, I just never really left his from that day. Was you happy at that point? Um, yeah, I was made up with him. Yeah, I was made up with him. Did you do everything right? For, for about five days and then... On five the, days? Yeah, and then we'd, on the fifth day, I'd caught a message in this girl, so stood up to leave, and he smashed my head off the coffee table. After five days? After five days, which begs the question, well, why would you stay with him? But the way it was done, I was... He did knock me unconscious this time, but when he smacked me out off a coffee table, I was delirious. And he said, oh, no, I just stopped you. I just didn't want you to go. And I was confused because I'd never had a bang like that on my head. And I was confused. I thought, well, oh, he's wanted to stop me and I've went flying. And I believed him. And he said, it's not like that. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It's not like that. And I sort of believed him. And he was like, I'm sorry for messaging somebody else. You know, I won't do it again sort of thing. So... I had a very sore head, there was blood in my hair, but I was like, right, it's okay, you didn't mean it, and I must have tripped. You're making excuses than, for yeah, him. already within five days. So what happened in the next, let's say, the next month? Um, little things like, uh, I went, uh, one, th uh, one, one day it was roasting hot, as I say, it was the summer, and I was going to go meet all my mates, and he said, you, you're going to wear that. So I said, oh, and it was just like a normal top, and I was like, so I found myself wearing a skin tight, long sleeve top which I was sweating in and when I went to meet all my mates they all went on oh, your heart and I was like yeah but you know and I'm comfortable of course I would have never said he made me feel awkward and I thought that it was kind of my decision he didn't say you're not going out and that he just went you're wearing that which subconsciously I thought god I am wearing this it is inappropriate so stuff like that has happened and he became very controlling and questioning a lot questioning me a lot and was he violent again in that in the next yeah he pulled his hands on me every single day for years from five from day five. five days yeah but it would just be like grabbing hold of me to go like what are you doing and even though I'd never grown up and I've definitely never grown up in an abusive household or I, I allowed for it because I fancied him so much and I quickly fell in love with him because he just seemed to be everything that I wanted um which sounds hard to believe, but yeah, I just quick, I quickly fell in love with him. He said that he was in love with me, and it was a. Had you been in a relationship before? Yeah, I'd been in a few relationships before. One of which the the me the boyfriend wasn't very nice to me. It's like this is this thing where a lot of women who go through domestic abuse they have it more than once. They have more the the more than they have a more than one abusive relationship rather. And it's this thing of a lot of women feel embarrassed to say, God, mm. I'm going through it again. Now, it was nowhere near what he put me through, but there was definitely the controlling aspect of telling me what to do. Um, and, yeah, so I, I'd been through it before, but nothing like this. Did you feel like he was a manipulator? 
Was there any, did you feel anything that was thinking, this isn't right? Um, I, I think because of, like, he, well, I remember I, I disclosed, I remember he said to me, you know, you're always, like, fixing your stomach and I'm fixing your clothes, what's up with you? And I said to him, I used to have an eating disorder, which I did for years. Mm. It's quite a big part of me, probably early 20s. And in school, there were little parts of me where I was aware of, like, me intake of food and stuff. So the minute that I disclosed that and I said I was under St. Cat's Hospital in Birkenhead for it, it's quite bad. I lost, like, quite a bit, of, quite a considerable amount of weight at one point. And the minute that he found me, he had me then. So he'd say stuff like he'd, like we'd be sitting there on a couch and he'd grab hold of my leg and that would be all he'd have to do. And I'd go, what? And he'd go, nothing, I'm just looking at your leg. And he'd, um, he'd comment on my body, but the way in which he'd say, he'd say, because I love you so much, I think that maybe you should stop eating. Mm. And, and then I thought he was like a protective, caring thing over me. He wanted me to do better and be a better person, a better woman and everything. I mean, when we'd sit on the couch, I'd have to sit up straight. I wasn't allowed to lean on him. He, he would like, part of his sort of punishment was he wouldn't show me any love throughout the day at all. There'd be no hugging, kissing, but I'd be expected to sit with him all day. But I wasn't allowed to so much as put my legs over and lean on him, anything. On the couch, you sort of sat up like you're in the army on the couch, if that makes any sense. And is this still a relatively new relationship? Oh, God, like really new within probably the first fortnight this was happening. And I found that within the first probably two to three weeks, I was walking around with my head down. I remember we went the offy because drinking was a big part of our relationship. He insisted we drink every single day. So sometimes, I mean, I used to work all the hours God sends. I'd be in work, I'd be either hungover or I'd think, oh, I'm so tired, but I knew I'd be going back to him um, to, have, to have a drink after shift, if that makes any sense. And we went to the office this one day and there was this lad there, 17 if a day, and he, and he had boss hair. And I went, oh my God, you've got boss hair. And he flipped his lid, raised his fist towards me in front of the cashier and people like that there. And nothing was mentioned, like, not when he'd do in shops or he threatened me, nobody pulled him up. Grown men never said, hey, I'm speaking to her like that. So within the probably first fortnight, I was walking with my head down around the streets and everything. Did your family notice and your friends? No, me mate and me mate and my mum didn't notice. I became like a master liar. I became a really good liar years ago. I used to have fits. They were non-epileptic fits. So if I did, on the off chance of a black eye, I'd just say, oh, fits have come back. I was sleeping on the inside the wall in, in his, I won't say his name, and um, my bloody face bashed against the wall. But I'm, I'm not known as a liar, so everyone took it face volume, went, bloody hell, even I went, oh, no, oh, my God, or oh, what happened to your lip? And I'd go, oh, end up bloody biting inside my mouth, didn't I? I was having a fit. So I'd become a really, really good liar. To cover for him. Yeah, it was amazing liar. To cover for him, I think to cover for myself because I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed it was happening, but I loved him so much, so it was just... When did it start getting really violent? Um, it, the worst, well, God, within maybe four weeks, five weeks at the most, where he, he was knocking... God, I think it might have been before then. He was knocking me unconscious on a daily basis in the end. And when people go, well, it was every single day. At one point, he was knocking me unconscious. Stuff like that, it's, to say it's demeaning, it's embarrassing, you know, when you think back. And so anything, really. Um, he was a pothead, so he might if he didn't have weed, if he had too much drink, if he didn't have drink, if he didn't have... Oh, if he, if he had too much weed, he'd get... It was just any excuse, really. Did he work? No, he didn't work, no. Who funded his lifestyle? The government. 
Um, he used to have fits, funnily enough, but his were epileptic. I think he'd had a he'd had a bad fall, so that he never worked, and that was another um, protocol for his anger to put it on to me. It was another reason for him to be pissed off that I could work and he couldn't. And I used to work all loads of hours, and then he'd ask me for money, say, "Well, I need to get such and such a weed." No, I don't smoke weed, so I'd be like, "Eh," and he'd go, "Well, I need such and such a weed," so I'd have to pay him say two hundred, three hundred pound, and it'd be like. You know, and then it, in the end, it wasn't where he'd say, well, I'm going to pay you back. It would just be in leads and me by my arm to the uh, the hole in the wall, like the bank, for me to take money out for him. It wouldn't even be where he promised to give it me back. So you were just... Basically just out. giving him money, yeah. And his punch bag. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. How did you still go to work with all of this going on? I did. I, I mean... After one time I was I was badly beaten up. I turned up on shift. The service users, because a lot of them, they all had learning difficulties. Some of them quite complex. I know one of the lads are supposed to do our Down syndrome. He said, "What happened to your face?" He's gorgeous, like, and he says, "What happened to your face?" And um, you know, why do you look like that? And I was like, "Oh," and then some of the staff couldn't look at me. One fella who was an old fella away could look like he was going to burst into tears. Um, he tried to speak to me on shift, but I'd have none of it. I was like, no, nothing's happened. And he said, look at you, Eve. Look at the state of you. Because I had to get the bus from Toxter to my work, which happened to be in Kensington. The whole of the bus was staring at me. The bus driver, he, of course, waited with me at the bus stop while I got on the bus. People were staring at him, scouring at him. Because you just know, don't you, when someone's getting... When somebody... And I would know, I think, especially if some of these fellas sat, um, stood there waiting for you to get on the bus. And in the end... Rather than work really supporting me, one of the managers pulled me and she said, "You know, Eve, this isn't this doesn't look really good for our company." It was sort of the threat of that they were going to sack me. So I mean, my work friends were really supportive, but the people above me, old bosses, weren't really. So what happened next? Um, he, it's um, knocking you out daily. Yeah, you're I, still which trying to get, navigate to go to work. What was your What was your health like? Awful. I dad, I dad like a type of nervous breakdown. Um, you know, I mean, my mum now says I'm not the same person. You know, I've, it's took me, it took me God years to get where I am now. But my health was really bad. The police, when they were made aware, they do spot checks, which I'm thankful for. Now, just randomly turn up my work. I'd moved jobs then. Let's and, go back a little bit before we jump to that bit. Let's okay. So when was the police first made aware of this? You're getting knocked out every day. You're absolutely. You're nervous. You can't. You're full of black and blue. We, I think, if I've got it right, they were first properly made aware. We, me and him, were on Warwick Street in Toxteth, and the pair of us were arrested. He had ran out the. I'd, I, he took. He used to take all my clothes off me. So I'm going to put them in the wash. Get into your pajamas. That was another way. Then I couldn't leave the flat. I'm not going to run out my pajamas, have I? And I'd managed to before he put the washing machine on. I think he'd he punched me in the face, and I had big chunks of hair missing. He'd pulled me down the stairs by my hair. So I'd managed to get all my clothes, scramble my clothes back on. I ran out and I was pushing him like, "Get off me! Get off me!" We ended up on Warwick Street. And um, because when he was on top of me in his house, I, to get him off me, I had to scratch him. So we had a big scratch on his chest. And when we were stopped in Warwick Street by the police and Mariah van, he said, look what she's done to me. And the policewoman, the policewoman said, did you do that? And I said, yeah, I have. Because he was on top of me and the woman said, and they knew what was going on. Yeah. And the pair of them looked at each other and they went, right, okay, we're going to have to arrest you. You know, because you are, and I said, that's fine, arrest me. So when I was took to the police station, I was promptly de-arrested, which means like they'd, they'd take the charges off you. Yeah. And um, 
and you know, and then he was dealt with appropriately. I was given Did two. Did you tell them what was happening? A little bit. I mean, when I was talking in the room, they went, will you, will you speak to us? And I was like, and they went, well, what's very nice and very nice to me. They didn't know he was knocking me unconscious at that point. Um, you know. How did you feel about yourself? Oh, I was, I mean, I was the thinnest I've ever been. I look back on photos now and I think, God, I look great. And I felt the worst about myself. My self-esteem was on the floor. Did you feel like you deserved it? Did, why did he's doing Yeah, it? I did, because I was just a piece of shit. Not because I'd done anything wrong. Is that think, how he made you feel? Yeah, I don't think I'd... I'd, I'd I mean, I'd never used to answer them back or anything. I was terrified of him. So it was not, I didn't deserve it because of something I'd done. Just because I was a piece of shit, I deserved it. But that's how he made you feel? Yeah, yeah. That you were worthless? Yeah, yep. So the police, what did they do after that? Well, the police were made aware then. And... What now the police were made aware I felt able to then when it got really bad I had nowhere to turn you know he would hound the life out me out of me threat he threatened to do stuff to my family so then I was disclosing the police then because I'm not being a grass he's being okay. horrible to me I started disclosing in them so the police then started getting involved but I kept dropping the charges and this is why I say I'm, I've never been a big fan of the police but the police saved my life and it changed my perspective on them because they were great. One of the police officers, Craig, is lovely. He would do the random spot checks oh. in that way by just turning up at my work on a whim. He then could go, where have you got your black eye from, Eve? And even though I would never press charges, I would never do it, it they put things in place and what they did quite cleverly, the police had said, right, we'll put you in touch with agencies now. So I was seeing at one point two or three different type of counsellors per week for different types of abuse all over Liverpool. And that was great because even though they knew I was still going back to them, I was having that outlet. Very clever the way the police did it. Really, really did you smart. you feel empowered? Uh, a little bit, although the women I was speaking to, they go, you're still seeing them? And I go, they go, right, okay, but the police have, the police have, have, um, uh, have sent you to us, but you still, and I was like, yeah, and they're like, right, okay. I don't think they were a bit confused. Yeah, I think I did. They helped a lot. No, that I wasn't going mad, because when you speak about coercion and gaslighting, when I when he'd knock me unconscious, which was like daily, as I say, when I'd wake up, and I don't know if you've ever been knocked unconscious, extremely painful, and then very, very disorientating when you wake up. When I'd wake up, he'd go and just put some chicken under the grill, do you want some chicken? So I'd then go, uh, yeah, okay, or no, or whatever I'd say. So then I'd then, I'd then think in my own reality, I'd think, has this even happened? He's asking me if we can put chicken breast under the grill. As this even happened, even though I'd wake up, I'd be, look and I'd be, and I'd stand up and I'd look in his mirror, his big mirror in his living room, and I would be black, chunks of my hair missing, blood always on me. Um, but I would question the reality. I think, am I going mad here? Because he, he's acting normal, he's just asked me if I want food. That is the type of gaslighting you do, you know. Um, and I remember one of the worst beatings, it was really, really bad. Uh, he'd done my legs in and my rib and everything. I could barely stand up. And when he helped me stand up with one of my arms, he looked at the men and he said, look, it sounds, would be all right with a bought your presents. And it was like he was preempting beating me up. To, to, the present wasn't my birthday, it wasn't Christmas. He just bought me this present. It was like he was preempting, giving me a really, really, really good time this one day. <clears throat> and there, therefore he gave me a present. So there's a nice ring for you. And, 
So does he just act normal? Honest when I say completely normal, like where you stood at the bus stop and you go, do you know what the time plays? Like I'm talking completely normal. So I was always doubting the reality. I honestly thought I was going mad. After you started going to the police, what was his reaction then? Did oh, you get he went off his head. He went off his head and I felt too fearful to really admit everything I told the police. So he wasn't really fully aware. Uh, although obviously the police had arrested him countless times. As the months went on, um, the years rather, the, the police were arresting him. And sometimes we weren't allowed to see each other, so he'd hide me in his backyard. Like the, it got really, it, the the beatings got so bad and the abuse got so bad, he'd lock me out of there um, naked for forty five minutes at a time. He'd strip me of all of my clothes and he'd push me out in his backyard. And it would be winter, and I'd be out there for forty five minutes sobbing, begging him to go back in. And you know, he'd be like, "Well, yeah, we'll do something for me. Get on your knees and beg me then." And I'd be on the gravel. Or, you know, on the hard floor, on my knees, begging him, and he'd leave me out there like 45 minutes oh at a time, do you know what I mean? That was something earlier on, he would have knocked me unconscious, or it was black and blue. And what I used to do is, to ha when I knew I had to see my mum, or I had like a big event, like say maybe a holiday even with my friends, because one year my friends took me away quite a bit. Did he still let you them. go? He had no choice. My friends used to go right, and he didn't really have a choice. I'd just make an excuse, go and see one of my mates, and I'd stay over, and we'd go and get a flight the next day. And um, if I knew, I'd then I'd wear stage makeup. I'd wait for the, the bruising to go, and as the swelling was going down, I'd just start putting stage makeup on. Oh, my God. So say you'd go on holiday, and what would he be like when you got back? Great, he'd be very, very calm, he'd have a good holiday, and I, I, that made me feel worse. I was like, oh, going to batter me, he's going to batter me. And I'd go, yeah, and did you meet anyone night? It was a good, oh, made up, he'd be all nice. And then he'd be putting food, and he was quite a good cook, so he'd be putting on, like, a big pan of scouse. And, you know, this one time, he said, come and have a look at the scouse, and he, he held me head over the big pan, so I had the hot steam, and he was like, have you had a really good holiday? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I've had a really good holiday. And I got battered that night as well. But the way in which he did it, he was, it was just terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. He, he was, he'd scream and shout. He had a cat. Yeah, he had a cat. And so during, he had, so during this abuse, he had this cat where he'd be really... He, it was it was cat cat abuse. It was animal abuse. What he was doing, just kicking the cat, hitting it, smacking it, throwing it about. And I, I was fearful of him, and I didn't ever feel like I could say, "What are you doing?" But the few times I did, I got it tenfold off him. He's, he cut the cat's tail off in front of me, <gasps> slammed the gate on the cat's tail, um, and he had his uncle and stuff had um, my, like learning difficulties. I think a touch of autism. Um, and he used to live with him. And he was, during the abuse that I was suffering, he would be punching his uncle and abusing his uncle. So it was like, it was, everything was caving in on me. It was hard to explain. Like, Did the uncle live there the whole time? Yeah, the uncle lived there, yeah. And his, well, his uncle was like an old fellow, like probably 60s or something. But he was so abusive to his uncle. And I did try and tell his family Oh, I don't know if they ever spoke to him, but he carried on living there. He, his uncle, where sometimes I'd turn up, he'd have a black eye. And I'd say to him, have you done that? And he'd go, yeah, because he was, you know, I'd just give him a slap. So I was witnessing, I was witnessing being cruel to his animal, cruel to his uncle. And then he, I was getting it as well. So it was like... When you were noticing, like, you, 
in being cruel to the animal and his uncle, did you start feeling sorry for yourself as well and thinking, no, I'm going through this? No, no, I just felt sorry for them. I felt like crying. I just said, why are you doing that to your uncle? The poor cat, the cat was like a dog. No cats, this cat wasn't like, oh, the cat was amazing, gorgeous cat, it was like a puppy. It really needy, it was lovely, and he'd be horrible to it. And I'd, I'd then would turn up from shift and I'd make up to the cat and I'd, you know, wrap the cat up like a baby and I'd, oh, I'd fuss it and love it and kiss and cuddle it. And he'd say the cat's not allowed upstairs. And when he went, I took the cat upstairs and wrapped it up in bed and cuddled it. And, and I found myself making up for, to his uncle on, on his behalf. I go, Are you all right? And you okay? And do you need me to go to the shop? And, you know, how are you feeling? And do you want a cup of tea? And because I thought he's being horrible to them now as well. <clears throat> I come secondary to them yeah. because I think because I was witness and I felt so guilty on them. Do you know mm. what I mean? You've been so strong, haven't you, dear? Well, I mean, you know, there's, I know there's like the sexual side of stuff when, um, when I'd be, when I'd wake up from being unconscious, I was aware that I like, I was wet down there and stuff and I was aware that he'd been sleeping with me when I was unconscious. Yeah. So I couldn't prove it, but it was just a feeling that I had. And because he'd show me no love all day, um, like no affection whatsoever, we, we were quite, he was quite stringent when we went to bed. It was like, well, you have to have sex with me now. He never said it, but that was like, and because he'd showed me no love in the day, I, I was just expected to have sex with him, which I did have. Um, did you enjoy the sex or was it? Yeah, I've got, you know, I'm really honest and I say this when I'm doing my talks. My, I have quite a good sex drive. So I, I'm in films, rape and sexual assault, as it were, is like a broader broader term. Women are held down and we're going, get off me, oh, no, no, I don't want this. That's not how it happened with me. It was where he would show me no love all day and I felt as though I had to. Um, sometimes I would say no to him and he'd carry on anyway. Um, how I'd cry during it and stuff and our sex life some of it was great but I'd say a lot of it wasn't did you feel did you, you know when you were crying do you feel like he enjoyed it yeah he, that one of the headlines in the echo which was the front headline was you love being raped don't you and that was something that I said in court that he said to me which I was quite shocked there was a programme uh, on the telly that, uh, about this African village and the women in the African village were being raped. Africa's such a big place, I don't know what part. And I thought, God, the atrocities, this is awful, look at this. And he said, but do you enjoy it though, don't they? And that took me back and I said, do you enjoy what? Do you enjoy being raped though, do you like it though? And I remember, I knew he was a horrible person, but I loved him. But I, I was aware at this point, I thought he's not a nice person, but that took me back and I said, do you enjoy it? And I, all the pieces started to come together because the police were working with me in the background and I was seeing counsellors and I had my mates at this point saying the odd thing to me. My family still didn't know. I started to think, hang on a minute. And I remember once I turned up, one of, I don't speak to her now because of this, but she was my friend at the time. And the way, even though if you, if you ever suspect that a family member or a friend or even somebody in the neighbourhood is being abused, you should speak up, but try and do it through the police, really. Because by saying something to the perpetrator, that will just, you know, the, the victim will end up getting a tenfold off them. And my friend at the time decided to message him and she's had a drink going, hey, you, I, I know all about you. You've been battered on my mates. So when I turned up, I'd done a night shift in Kensington. I turned up at his house, let myself in. 
and I went up to the bedroom and he was awake and I went morning and I just knew and I went what have I done what have I done now and he was just like shut the door shut the door and I was just like and that was the end of that but you know I got do you think she was just trying to help you yeah, I think loads of, I mean, before before this would have happened to me, I probably would have said, hey, you with my mate. Yeah, I would I know it's a but, but it, I know now you, that's not the right way of doing it. I mean, yeah. the abuse was happening, the whole neighbourhood, you know, <clears throat> the whole street. Uh, one of my friends lived in the street, an older one, she tried, did try and help me, but the rest of the street didn't. The, the windows would be open. You know, when people speak about a lot of abusers, they punch it in your head, in your hairline, or your body, so that he didn't care. He punched me square in the face in the street. I would be screaming out the window for help because he'd locked me in. And as he was locking all the doors, I think so. I'd be shouting, "Please, somebody help me!" As he was walking up the stairs, nobody had helped me. And um, are you scared of him? I think so. Yeah, there was a neighbour who lived to the. If you stood outside with your back to his house, to the left of him, he was an older woman. She was a family friend, and she always had a bit of a smirk on her face. She was quite. She was quite blase over the whole thing. And the other neighbours, which were a young couple who moved in with a the baby, they quickly moved out. Okay. Yeah, they moved out. They must have been renting the place and they quickly moved out. They were there for maybe six months. And it, they didn't even... I thought somebody would have stuck up for me and no one did. Did no one ever phone the police? Nobody. Nobody ever rung the police in that neighbourhood. Nobody and everybody knew. Everyone was aware. I was permanently walking the shop with a black eye permanently walking, walking with him with my head down with a split lip or I was permanently limping or he'd done something to my arm or, you know, it took me years to get my hair back to where it is now. But there's a, I know my hairdresser said to me recently, it's a lot of scarred in your head and my mum was taking it back and I, because, you know, I just said, yeah, it's off my ex. My mum was like, he's, he's got scars in your head off your ex. I said, yeah. Mum's like, my mum's 74 now. So for all my family, my family read the, the Echo article. I don't think they really understand how bad it was. Did you distance yourself from your family? Yeah, he convinced me. He, he convinced me that my family didn't love me. I sent the most disgusting, unforgivable text messages to my dad and my two brothers. You weren't there for me. I'd some, I wouldn't even repeat half of what was on there. But it was just a scathing message telling them how much I hated them. How they were never there for me. Is this why you were with them? have to have a break. Okay, darling. <laughs> yeah, so I sent me, me brothers and me two dads, me, me two dad, me two no. brothers and me dad, the most scathing messages saying how much I hated them. Um, you know, the stuff that I wouldn't even repeat now that, that really Im impacted on me family, convinced me my family didn't love me. Now, I come from, when we say we're close, we are in each other's pocket. I'm in my mum's every single day. Uh, I always was before I met him. Obviously, I lived in London. But before I lived in London, even when I did live in London, I was home every other weekend. We're a very, very, very close-knit family. And that all changed because of him. He convinced me that my family didn't love me. Um, he'd pinpoint things about myself that I didn't like about myself that I disclosed to him. And he'd say, no, your mum probably doesn't like that about you. And he was really clever in the way that he did it. Um you know, a lot of golden as well. So if there was an advert on it, my mum's a double amputee, so she's in a wheelchair. So if there was like an advert on the telly where somebody's disabled, you go, there's your mum. And of course, I would go ballistic because he's speaking about me mum. And then I'd be like, who are you talking to? And that would be an excuse for him to hit me. Or if there was somebody with like 
a really severe dis- a severe like learning difficulties on the telly set. You go there's your Siobhan. So there was a lot of gold and that went on. Um, his dad came round one day and she really shouted at me. At you? Yeah, at me saying, look at that dent in the floor, that's because of you. And I was like, I didn't do that, he did that. And he didn't believe me. And what he, he, he dipped me over the edge with a bottle this one day. And um, and it, it hit me on the head, went on the floor and he had like a lino and it made a dent in the lino when I was playing for that. So his family turned on me, his, his mum and his dad, they literally lived round the corner. And this one day he wouldn't give me my bag back. My bag, my bag had like me inhalers, my asthma's quite bad. I was hospitalised for asthma attacks because of them. And my asthma's really bad. And I had my phone, he had all my stuff, my lipstick, just all stuff yeah. that's important to me, my keys. So on a whim, I thought, right, so I ran round to his mum's. My gun was bleeding. I was battered black and blue again. And um, they let me in. And then he then turned up. And his dad went, have you done this to her? And he went, yeah. And he went, right, OK. And then they paired them, went, right, go and go back around the house. And I, I was sent back around, which I was then battered for again. Because so he admitted he'd done it? He'd done yeah, it. yeah. Mm. And, and, he... and when I've spoke to people about it since, they've said, who, who know the family from there, they said, oh, the dad used to batter the mum. And I remember... Um, I remember because I used to be hospitalised with asthma because of him with a few asthma attacks. And the nurse ago, he's sitting there with a black eye, and you could just tell, I think, because I had my head down, I must have looked so depressed and down, which I was. I was so severely depressed. And um, his mum had turned up, he'd sent his mum rather than him coming to see if I was okay. And um, his mum just said, You know, if, if you're scared, I won't get out, I should have done. So I sort of knew, although she was the horrible, my ex's biggest fan. Like the matriarch of the family, she loved her son. It was as though she was aware of it, so she was telling yeah. me invertedly, if that makes any sense. He he would always comment on my body, he convinced me that I smelt, um, and he used to make me go and get um go and get smears. So I went for a few smears thinking that my pH balance was off, and the doctor said your pH balance is perfect, great. Go away, don't worry about it, because he sent me, honestly, for there's not enough, he sent me for countless smears, basically, that that was flagged up as well. Where it's like, why are you coming for smears? So that was all flagged up with the police. And, you know, and I, you know, this is something else that a lot of women don't realise. Like, a man checking your underwear, um, you know, that sort of stuff is, I'm checking your underwear and to see if you slept with somebody used to check down there on me and... Um, put his fingers inside of me to make sure that there wasn't somebody else's sperm up there. It was like a lot of it was invasive and embarrassing and degrading behaviour what he put me through. There, so as well as him locking me outside naked, he was checking me underwear, checking me bits and bobs. If I happened to, because I worked with some challenging people as well, um, that that might hit out. Say, if I come back with a bruise, I'm be like, oh, somebody, somebody done that to you. Um, yeah, so there was a lot of that that went on. And all this time you're still working and you're still pretending like everything's normal. Yeah, and I, I, be, I remember I become that used to the abuse. Now looking back, when he would knock me unconscious and I was really, really battered by him, struggling to stand up, which of course he'd always help me, you know, because he's such a helpful person to help me stand up. And I could thank you for helping me stand up and all Did that. Did you feel like it was affection when he was hitting you? I think in a way, yeah. And and it before this happened to me, 
I would have been like, I wouldn't have been judgmental, I'm not a judgmental person, I'm really open-minded person, but I would have been a bit like, what? That's out of my realm of thinking, or it would have been. But because I've been through it, like, the courts and the police were in agreement that I had Stockholm Syndrome, which is where you're completely... When I say I had a breakdown and I wasn't in my right mind at one point because he put me through that much, it was like the norm. And then when I moved... The police went, right, you'll move now. So I moved to Tubrook, uh, which he promptly found out about and I agreed to meet up with them because I couldn't Wait, stay I'll away just from let's them. Go back. How, did you get the, how did the police get you to move? I think I think I just I, I said to them, I can't take much more, I can't take much more. So I kept going back to him. I went back to him after this. The police went, right, so with, with my friends, they helped me move and with the police say so police said right we think that's a good idea so I moved and where it was like above a sunbed shop or a beauty shop so there was loads and loads of locks it was quite secure even though you had to sort of go out of a back alley to yeah. get there and uh, he probably found out about it I then met up with him because I couldn't stay away from because I loved him so much but you're addicted to yeah, him yeah absolutely addicted to him yeah and um and then I was in his the week after and I noticed that the keys had gone and all of a sudden the keys were there. So I think he got, well, he must have had a set of keys for all of them in like the 20 minutes or something or half an hour. He was out. And one day I went back to my place in Tubrook. And you know, when you just walk in, I thought someone's been in here. I could just feel it. And I got in the bath and I was sitting in the bath and I looked up and there was like a, a thing, a board that had been moved, which was, is that an attic or was that an attic? Attic. Yeah, it was an attic and it had been moved and I knew he'd been up there. So that had been, he wasn't up there then, he, that had been moved, so I knew he'd been in my flat and I knew he'd been up there and maybe was he going to hide and watch me and maybe he changed his mind, but the thing had definitely moved, so I knew he'd been in there and everything. Mm. How did you feel at this point? Just like I was in a set, I was in like a, a never-ending thing of abuse. If I did anything great, he'd batter me because it's like, who do you think you are? Do, like, think like if I looked really nice and I did, I stopped eating for him and I did lose loads of weight. He'd go, what? What are you doing for? You're doing for other people. And who do you think you are? Looking like that, so I get battered for it. You just couldn't wink, would you? No, no. Like whatever I did, I couldn't win. So it was like a constant. And now at one point. He spoke about an ex, which I won't mention a name. She wouldn't want me to, but I um, I did a bit, as you know, as being a woman, so I did a bit of search and I found out and I messaged it on Facebook and I just said, listen, please, has he ever done this to you? And she said, oh, she said I'll burst, I'll try. She said she was in Las Vegas at the time with one of the mates. She said, can I get in touch with you? She said, I'm sobbing. She said, yeah, he did do all this. She said, can I, can I message you? So I gave her my number. Um, she messaged me and we spoke. And she said, yeah, she said he did all that. She said it was more of the rape with her. So with her, he would rape her regularly. He was with me because my sex drive was okay. And that was a power that he had over me to not sleep with me. And I didn't really realise he would full on rape her, like you see in the films, where he'd be holding her down, she'd be screaming. He, pull, he used to pull her down the stairs by her hair and strangle her. But she didn't get the physical, whereas I got everything was I used to get battered by him and the rape I didn't realise was happening so when we speak about it with the police I remember once I'd turned up off a night shift it was in the morning and he, he wanted me to to do things with him and I, and I said no which he I probably had to so and then I thought this feels like this is rape this so I was aware of it that time but as the police said if you were aware of it 
and the courts have said this, well, you wouldn't really know many times. So I was quite vague in court. I said, I, I now realise what was happening, but I don't know how many times he did it to me. So that was good speaking to her because she let me know. Is this that. why you're living in Tubru? Yeah, well, I'd moved back in with him then. After after a while, and I moved back in with him. Um, so she, yeah, she kept in contact with me and we met up. She went to this, there's like a thing which is great, like a a um, thing for domestic abuse survivors or people that are going through it or want to learn more or, or, you know, might be in the middle of it. There's older women and everything that go there. And this is in the women's hospital. And I agreed to meet up with her. I just missed it. And I think, I think I would, because I was involved in it, she hadn't been with him for years. It was easy for her. I just said, oh, I feel too emotional. Can I meet you afterwards? We met up and we really got on. She was lovely. Mm. Uh, I really found a bit of a king, king, Kindred spirit. Yeah, she's just lovely. I really, really liked her. But of course, after that, I ended up getting back with him. And me and him went out in town. We never really used to move, but he decided to take me out this night and the phone went. And I, I looked at him and thought, I said, I need the toilet. And when I spoke to her, she said, I was really off. And she went, you're back with him, aren't you? And she just put the phone down on me. She's never spoke to me since. I mean, I, I saw her in the court and she sort of smiled, but she doesn't want anything to do with me because I broke her trust. Off, I got information off, off her. And then promptly got back with them, you know. But I just found it very difficult to break away from them. So I shit on somebody basically, which makes me feel really bad. But that was that. That is what abuse is. It's just not in the right mind. It's not are black you? and white. No, I, I I wasn't in my right mind. I remember what Jordan him. Me taste of music changed. Me likes. Me wants changed. Me dress sense changed. I was having me my my I'm a curly hair girl. I do have my hair straight, like but when I was with, with him, he, I wasn't allowed my hair straight. So for years I had my hair. I wasn't allowed my hair curly rather. So for years I had my hair straight. I just changed to like, everything he wanted yeah, you I wanted to be. Yeah, I wanted my nails short and dark, gothy, and he had these long nails on, um, which I found it hard to get out of that pattern. To be honest, of having long nails, so occasionally go back to that because I think that's what's wanted of me, rather than me being my own person. I've always dressed the way I'm not an I'm not a label person. If I like something, it costs a few bob, I'll save up for it. But I don't care, mate. If something's yeah. a pound, I'll buy it if I yeah. like it. But he turned me into somebody that I wasn't. Where he go? Well, you've got to wear this, and uh, my whole yeah, identity, identity, yeah, was stripped away from me. Everything, I like. You know, I wasn't allowed to. I wasn't even allowed to put a, t- a, a program on that I wanted. I wasn't. And drinking became a big factor in our life. I wish I was really honest about. And it took me years to get out of the thing of drinking every day. Was so that an escapism though? When you had a drink, was it? Well, when, I had to relief. drink with him because he'd go right have a drink, and yeah, it's lager. You know, fat man lagers. You want me to lose weight, but you want me to drink lager. And it was all of it was fizzy, so I'd put on weight, or I'd feel bloated, and then he'd batter me again. It was just a way of him, I think, having control. But it took me. It was about five years ago was the last time I seen him. Now, because my little boy's four and a half, and it took me. I still, you know, till quite recently to not drink with it. And I think it's a drinking culture, isn't it? It's when you go out, you have a blowout. Yeah. Can't do anything by halves, but to not drink every single night is an effort for me because I'm just that used to it because I had it for years with him. I was dead honest in court. I said, but we're drinking. And he went, right, but... And I said, well, he's buying there. He, but I would still make excuses for him in court. Yeah. Of course, in court, you're cross-examined. Um, but which you don't have... When, when you tell the truth how I am, 
you don't have to feel bad for being cross. They cross-examined me all day long and put nothing to hide. I was really honest. I said, but we're drinking all the time. They went, right, okay, because I didn't know that was a different form of abuse. So, yeah. And then... Um, and when did then, it get really bad to the point where you just... I left the country. It was that bad. I left the country. I, I just said to Craig, who was the policeman over me, I said, I said I mean, I remember they turned up and I, I was sobbing to the police. I said, I can't take any more. I feel like I'm going to kill myself. And I remember, again, I've never felt suicidal. So, I, again, if somebody was to say this previous, I would have oh, God, I felt so sorry for them. But I'd not, I've never... I don't understand it. I remember being on shift and I thought, right, I'm going to kill myself. I was really, I thought to myself, okay. And it, we don't do as much anymore because of COVID, but usually every single Wednesday we congregate as a family. Me and my aunties and my uncles, I thought, right, okay, well, I'll do it on a Thursday. I'll see my aunties and my uncles and I'll kill myself. I'll do it on the Thursday, see my aunties and my uncles on the Wednesday. So uh, I felt all of a sudden, I felt really happy on shift. And I was extra amazing support work with the lads. I was, I was supporting because I knew it would be coming to an end. So I, fa I felt this weight. I thought I'm going to kill myself. It's this weight of relief. It wasn't, it wasn't what I thought. Maybe feeling like you're going to kill me. I was quite happy about it. I thought, oh, I'm going to kill myself. And I thought I've just got a few days to wait. And I think I almost skipped out of work on that shift because I thought it's going to be over soon. And I, that was a bad time. And then he'd been extra cruel to me. I don't know what he'd said or what he'd done because it was that much stuff. And I just opened up and I told the police everything. And I said, you know, because I said he's bent me over the table and is, you know, and he'd done this and he'd done that. And he was just to check that I hadn't slept with anyone in shift. And he said, you've been sexually assaulted. I didn't know I'd been sexually assaulted. It's like, I've been, and he said, you've been sexually assaulted. I didn't even know that. I, I didn't, I'm quite an intelligent person. I'm not academic. But I, I am smart. I didn't know at my late 20s that I'd been sexually assaulted. And when I'd opened up, anyway, I felt like I was told them, I said, I'm going to kill myself. I, no, and then I was in, and then they recorded me for the course. So I did a record and I was, I was questioned. This was all shown in court. I was like behind the screen, so I couldn't see him behind like a curtain. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and the police agreed. The police, I said, I'm going to leave the country. And, Craig, he was lovely, he went, okay, we understand. So I left the country for six months and I was loving my life over there and he got in touch on a blank profile on Facebook and got back into my head and said, I'll pay for your flight back. So he paid for my flight back and I come back for him, which not many people know because it's embarrassing. People just think I was bored bed and I come back, but I come back for him. Because he just wouldn't leave you alone? No, I missed him as well, I missed him terrible. That's me being really honest. That's the reality of abuse. I missed him, even though he was horrible to me and cruel. I missed him terrible. He got in touch, and that was it then. His mum was really, really poorly. Like, very, she's passed away now. And um, what I found bizarre was, for all of his mum was dying. She's really poorly, and I was like, oh, my God. And when I come back, he... Um, he was more interested in me than his mum. Now, his mum was everything, which a lot of abusive men have learnt now, either have zero relationship with the mum or it's the polar opposite, where the mum, it's almost like a... I don't know, I can't even explain the relationship. It was bizarre, to be honest, I found. And he was more interested in me, which I thought was weird. And, of course, I then was back in it, and I was back home. I touched down. I come and seen him, and within... Half an hour, he had his hands back on me. I said to him, I said, I've come all the way back. I said, I look great. I was all brown and everything. I was like, because obviously I've been in the African eating drinking area. 
and he had his hands on me, he said, you've put your hands on me again, you said you wouldn't do this. And he was within just like, half oh, an hour. within about half an hour, not even an hour, in about, yeah, about half an hour, he had his hands on me. And then, and when I come back anyway, again, it got really, really, really bad. Couldn't take much more, and then the police, yeah, and then the police went, right, we're going we're gonna to press charges now. So he threatened me, I had his cousin threatening me, saying she was going to kick me out, and I still haven't bumped into his family. Needless to say, which I'm surprised at now, I wouldn't care because I know I'm in a different place and I've yeah. got nothing to hide. But I have, I had had his family all threatening me um, because it was on the front page of the Echo and everything. Obviously, he got 23 years. It's a misprint in the Echo. They've said he's got 17, but he hasn't. See, that's a misprint. The CPS said 23 years and he has to do the full 23, oh. which is unheard of. So I think they were making, I think, as the police said, the only thing he didn't do to you was kill you. It was like a really extreme case. And now I had a male judge who looked like he was going to burst into tears. And there's things that I haven't mentioned today because I'll, that I don't tell anybody yeah. because I want to keep a little bit for myself. But um, if I mention that he locked me out naked and the sexual assault side of stuff, then it shows you how bad the stuff that I haven't mentioned was. But anyway, I've, he now has gone away for 23 years and... I've what was it like going to court? What was it like actually standing I was, up? I was heavily pregnant. I was heavily pregnant at the time. I but it wasn't his child, was no, it? No. What, what has happened was when we'd split up, the first person that was nice to me, I, I, I was just made up. I thought, oh, God, this is me. I can get away from him. So I became pregnant. I ended up, um, I ended up heavily pregnant. I'm talking like heavily pregnant, still seeing him. Did he hit you when you were pregnant? No, he didn't, but he put his hands on me. And I quickly got out the out the house this time. Um so but I know I know when I was in I know obviously that's that's another thing, like that's embarrassing for me to say that I was in an abusive relationship and I put my life and my child my ch unborn child's life in danger. But again, that's the reality of abuse. Absolutely. Nothing's black and white. No, it's not. Uh, you know, and to say, well, hang on a minute, and then you were pregnant with somebody else's child. You go, yeah, I was pregnant with somebody else's child. But he, he used to get in my head. What was the point, Eve, where you thought, that's it? Probably, I think, just before I went to court, and I knew, I thought... Did you have the baby then? No, I was, uh, when I was being cross-examined, was uh, about six weeks until I was going to give birth. Wow. And I was huge. I mean, my mum was big when she, when she had kids. I was... I just, yeah, I, honestly, my mum went, are you sure there's not two in there? I was mm -hmm. huge. So they were taken aback. And because I, in my head, I thought the court and the, the prosecution and everyone watching are going to think, eee, she's playing with somebody else's child. In, in a way, it sort of went into my favour because it showed the severity of the abuse that he was giving me, that I was heavily pregnant with somebody else's child, still going back to him. Um, You know... I never cheated, by the way, on the, me and him, me and the baby's dad split up and everything, like, really, really soon and only with him for a few months. But, um, but yeah, I was cross-examined, very, very heavily pregnant, which was, even though they, they, they have, like, a, a curtain, so I didn't see him, the curtain wasn't pulled down properly and I seen him, mm. so I probably burst into tears. It caused me a lot of stress. I didn't have the best pregnancy, to be honest. I love being pregnant and I love babies, and everything, but I didn't have the, the best pregnancy. Absolutely not. So yeah, and now he's now he's gone away for twenty three years. So he went away when he was thirty, so he'll be out when he's fifty two. 
Oh, is it 52 or 53? 53. Yeah, 53. I don't crap my matters, but... So I've come when you gone yeah. to prison, yeah. did that make you? Did you feel safe then? No, no. And you know now, people say, "God, oh, what would you? Are you scared for when he gets out?" And that's not me first Paul to call. If he was to get out, the thought of him getting out and him getting with somebody else still, the this many years later is too much. I couldn't thought of him being with somebody else. And this is another thing that people don't want to hear. But you go, do you? You've still got feelings. I don't know how I feel about it. I don't know if it's if it's if it's not. It can't be real love, can it? Mm. If for what he did to me, but the prospect of him being out knowing he he could be dating somebody else, oh, the thought of it. So my first protocol isn't really my safety. I don't think he'd do anything when he got out. To be honest, um, but I do worry sometimes, occasionally, about bumping into his family, thinking would there be reprisals. But at the end of the day, I've done nothing wrong. So I don't Absolutely not. Fight. You've done nothing wrong. It's them. They protected him and they done wrong, Eve. Yeah. They're the ones who should hang their heads in shame. So you've had the baby. How does having the baby make you feel? Oh, I had a horrendous birth. But he's, he's transformed my life. That's he's amazing. True love. Yeah. He's got like afro hair. Ah. He's just gorgeous. He's perfect. Pale as anything, but with this afro hair, he's gorgeous. Ah. And his eyesight's really poor. So at the minute, he's got really thick glasses on. He couldn't be any more cute than at the minute. Ah. Uh, he had a top knot in on Sunday because he went round the Asda with me. He was made up. He's the light of my life. He's ah. super, super, super intelligent. He's dead funny and witty. And... I know I was speaking to my sister-in-law last night and I said, I do feel a little bit like I'm ready to meet somebody. And then I think, oh, I'm not. And then, and then we were speaking, she went, God, imagine getting to an age and you haven't got a partner and feeling lonely. I said, but you know what, Nat? I've got my little boy now. So whatever happens, I've got him. And he goes, come on, mum, I'll be the big spoon. Ah. And he's like, only little, he's only four. So he's the big spoon. And yeah, he's, he's transformed my life. And you've been to uni? Yeah, I did my access to uni via cells, which I always thanked them for. Um, and I got in on the premise, I didn't have my maths or me, so I got in on the premise of working with such a fantastic company. And they said, right, well, cells do talk round is They let me on. This is the, a fantastic thing about you, Bird. They literally let you in. And then now I'm in the L20 building, which is the University of Lancashire, just about to get my full criminology degree. I don't know what type of degree I'll leave with, but I'll leave with a degree. Um, and yeah, me like, I mean, one of my reasons, well, my reason for coming on here was just to say to people that abuse isn't black and white. Be patient with people who have been abused because the lasting effects, I'm, I still feel now, although I'm a lot better. You know, the nervous breakdown I experienced has changed me as a person and everything. And just to be mindful, really, of how you speak to people, how you treat people, how you make people feel, and just to tell people that are going through it or ha have been through it that it does get better. What would you be your biggest tip to someone who's going through this right now? Will you... To get out, to, to if you're in a living room and you know you're going to get battered, look for ex exits, think ahead, think, OK, well, this is going to happen now. But then be aware of... of be aware of, of covering your head, basically covering your face and your head, um, you know, and, and shouting as loud as you can. And this, and I'd also say to neighbours and people in the community, if you feel like somebody's being abused, please stick up for them. Don't go to the perpetrator, go to the police. Yep. Go to the rest of the community and say you're witnessing this. All rally round together. 
and, and I'd say to people who are going through it, hold your head up high, it will get better. And um, yeah, that's what I'd say really. Eve, you're absolutely amazing. Oh, thanks you are so much. a true warrior queen. And you know what, girl, you made it. You fucking beat him. He's where he belongs, the piece of shit. And you made it. You're just about to get a degree. And you've got to go out there and help the world. And you've got a beautiful little boy who loves you unconditionally. Thank and you. And you won. Congratulations, Thank you. Thanks sweetheart. so much. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Oh.